chapter number 1. And remember, we're talking about, <clears throat> in this book, the theme of the book of Daniel. A lot of people think that it's about Daniel because it's titled the book of Daniel. And a lot of people think that it's about some Hebrew boys. And some people think that it's about fiery furnaces and bowing down to golden images. And, and then when you get all the way into the ninth chapter that it's about different kingdoms and God's time and prophecy and all those things. But if you look at it, it really sums up itself in these words right here. It's our faithful God in the most <coughs> difficult times, or it's our faithful God in the worst times. Um, you know, a lot of times people think that when you go through something bad, especially for some reason Christians, they think that when you're going through something bad, that for some reason God has kind of forgotten you or forgotten where you are or that he's misplaced you somewhere because... I've seen personally a lot of Christians that kind of lose all kind of hope and their whole stand in faith. And I've even seen a lot of people that were a part of the church when they went through a difficult time, it seemed like they ran as far away from God as they could and they ran out into the world. And I was always puzzled by that. I was like, why in the world would you run away from the one that you've served in the most difficult times? Because sometimes we feel like Elijah. Sometimes we feel like him to where he was so fearful about a woman by the name of Jezebel that he ran and he ran to this certain place. And as he ran away, God came to comfort him, sent an angel to comfort him. And many times in the Bible, Jacob, he ran. You know, he ran so far away from uh, what he was trying to run from was running from his past. But really, when it boiled down to it, he was trying to run from God because uh, he, and, and let me tell you something, you can pack up all your stuff today and run to any other state you want to. You can't run away from God. He's going to be there where wherever you are. And uh, I say this, that in our most difficult times, we need to hold on to scriptures such as Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. You know what it says? It says that we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It means that we are to try to meet as the body of Christ, whether it be on Sunday morning in worship, whether it be on a Sunday night in Bible study or Wednesday night in Bible study, or if it's a revival meeting, or if it's meeting at the coffee house or meeting at Jack's or some other place. We need to assemble ourselves together and not forsake that as the manner of some is. And you know what the Bible says? It says, even so much the more as you see the day approaching. It tells us that we need that even more now as we see God's return approaching more than we've ever needed it. And it's not that we need less of church or less of Bible. We need more of it as he comes closer and closer and closer and closer to coming back. And, and I know that there's a, <coughs> a lot of people out there that actually feel this way. There's a lot of people that are not what we would call a part of the body of Christ, but yet they, they have some kind of religious training, some kind of religious upbringing in their life, but they're not really fully sold out into being a born-again Christian. And even those people, when you talk to them, ask them about what they're seeing go on around them, even those people kind of have a radar or an antenna that's gone up, and they say, you know, Things are getting difficult, and they're getting bad, and it's got to be the coming of the Lord. My mom used to tell me about it, or my grandmother or my granddaddy used to tell me about it. And even in Hollywood today, there are a lot of movies since 2001 all the way to the present day that Hollywood has bought on to this big, huge, kind of end-of-the-world kind of scene. You know, they've, they've created movies such as uh, uh, Deep Impact, Armageddon, all these things where they think that an asteroid is going to come, and they think that it's going to destroy the Earth 
like it did in the days of the dinosaurs and all this stuff. And for some reason, we're so smart and intelligent now that we're going to outsmart that thing. And we're going to go up there and get Bruce Willis to dig a hole and bury a bomb in it. And we're going to save the whole world and stuff. But people don't understand. Even, even some of us, when we went through the book of Revelation, people asked me and they said, do you think that big mountain that it says will be cast over into the earth? and out into the sea. Do you think that's nuclear bombs? Do you think all of these things and that the locusts are helicopters and all of this stuff? When you look at the book of Revelation, it says that these things were coming out of heaven. It says that those, those beasts were coming out of the bottomless pit, but the angel came out of heaven and opened that bottomless pit. But it says the judgment that's coming is going to be like none other judgment that's ever come to the earth because it's going to be the hand of God coming to judge this earth. Last Sunday, we talked about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, and we opened up with uh, hopefully making sure that you knew that your Bible was correct, that you knew that when Daniel said in the third year and then Jeremiah said in the fourth year, that you knew that those truths were not kind of entangled or messed up, but you understood and hopefully went home and did your homework this week and you read Jeremiah chapter 45 where it talked about the battle that, that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had with Pharaoh Necho and as he came in uh, uh, to Carchemish and that's why he was delayed and that's why we see Daniel talking about when he headed out and Jeremiah saying when he actually came in. Last Sunday we talked about Daniel in a way that Daniel did those things and hope you, hopefully you wrote those four things down. I know that it was in our overtime portion of the service. And I know that a lot of people had already closed up their Bibles and their books and were probably ready to go home. If you didn't get it, I hope you'd write it right now and understand that in chapter one, we see that Daniel purposed to be faithful. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies and with the king's food and the portions that were at the king's table. Daniel made a decision to be a faithful man of God, and it wasn't some kind of declaration, and then he went on this big, huge rampage. He made a decision, and then he made a request of Ashpenaz. Remember, he said, listen... Could you please just give us some vegetables, give us pulse to eat and water to drink, and then test things out? And remember, the second thing I told you is that if we will make our plans, if we will say that, okay, we are going to be faithful and we purpose in our heart to be faithful, then God is going to prove himself to be faithful. That was the second thing. God proved to be faithful to Daniel, to uh, Hananiah, to Michelle, and Azariah, that you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He proved to be faithful to them. The third thing is, is that Daniel planned for the rest of his time to be faithful. Not only did he purpose in his heart, but he planned to be faithful. He didn't just go, you know what, I'm just going to get up there and I'm just going to kind of wing it and I'm going to shoot from the hip and God's just going to kind of just take care of me. Daniel understood what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let all things be done decently and in order. He made plans to do the right thing. And some of us today, the reason that we're so defeated as Christians, the reason that we can't get our heads out of the mud or above the water is because we don't make the perfect plans or even try to make faithful plans to do the right thing. Daniel planned it out and he said, just try it for 10 days and if 10 days go by and we're found weaker, then, then okay. But just try this out for 10 days. And so the fourth thing that we talked about was then God persisted 
to prove himself faithful to Daniel and them. God ended with that verse in chapter number 1, I think verse number 21, where he said that Daniel continued all the years until the first year of King Cyrus. In other words, God was said, I'm going to be with you, Daniel, all the way through this slavery for 70 years. I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. You're going to be my man. You're going to be my witness. And if you remember, we said this story of Daniel is not about slavery of some kind of young, Hebrew boys going into slavery and all about the bondage, but what if the fall of Israel, Brother Craig, was the blessings to the Gentiles? What if the fall of Israel and their sin turned out to be that God didn't just take slaves or Babylonian slaves and, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't take slaves to, over to Babylon, but what if he was pulling in, Brother Ricky, spies of the gospel, secret agent gospel preachers and stuff, and bringing in Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah. So we're going to pick up in that same thing. And now, now a couple of years have gone by. The Bible talks about that a, a, a few years have gone by. We're in the second year in the king or the reign of old Nebi. Remember, we're going to call him Nebi. And uh, he's ruling now. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And you need to understand this. God, God would speak to them in the Old Testament through visions and through dreams. God spoke to the children of Israel many, many, many times, countless times through what? Through signs and wonders. He said, I will be with you. And it was like Moses said, how will we know that you will be with us? He said, I will lead you with a pillar of fire, a tornado, a burning fire fire every single night before you and you follow that. And he said, and I'll lead you in the daytime with a pillar of cloud. And whenever I stop and I'm over the top of that holy of holies place, you know that I am in the house. Amen. I am in the place and I'm there and there I will meet with you because God told him to build this place so that he could dwell among them. So God, through the children of Israel, were always about signs and about wonders. And so they knew, Brother Keith, that God was God. There was no doubt to the children of Israel that God was God, to those true believers. Now, to those false believers that were a part of Israel's bloodline, yes, they had unbelief. But Moses and Caleb and Joshua, listen, they said the same God that opened up the Red Sea is able to deliver Jericho's walls in our hands. They're able to deliver, he's able to deliver the Amorites and the Hittites and all of the Canaanites that are in this land. He's able to do that. Even Caleb said this, I was about 40 years old when God told it to me and now I'm in my 80s and I believe it just as strong now when God told it to me way back then, Amen. So they knew and they believed because why? God said do these things, and it happened just like God said it was going to happen. <clears throat> Moses, take your rod and smite the waters of the river there, and now and it turned to blood. And exactly, boom, and it happened right before them. So God always proved himself to be faithful, to be trustworthy. And you can trust what he says. As some people used to say, that when E.F. Hutton listens, you need to take it to the bank. When God says something, Something, you can take that to the bank. And so the Bible now brings us into this place where God is fixing to, is at, that's a good, good southern term, fixing to move upon Gentile nations. Israel has betrayed him. Israel has forsaken him, and they have had numerous prophets. 
Many prophets like Jeremiah. In this day, Jeremiah, Daniel, Nahum, Zephaniah, they had all of these prophets to tell them and warn them of these things. And God says, no more Israel. Just like Jesus cursed the fig tree and there was no more tree by the time they walked out of the temple, God says the same thing to Israel, that they will cease to be a nation until he chooses to bless them again. You say, well, what gives God the right to do that? What gives you the right to ask? What gives God the right to do that? Because he says that he will bless whom he will bless, and he will judge who he will judge. He will have wrath upon whom he have wrath. Why? Because God is God, and God is not a God that's left us without a way. He has told Israel for 490 years, 70 Sabbath years, to repent, 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 repent. You remember what Jeremiah chapter 25 said? It says that they did not listen, nor did they even incline their ear. They didn't even turn their head to listen to God. So now we pick up, look at what we're going to talk about. The first thing today is about this wonderful dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, the dream of the king of Babylon. Okay, we're going to talk today about dreams and how they do come true, but the first point is that look at this dream of the king of Babylon. And it was a dream that was kind of fuzzy and kind of blurry for him. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, and in the second year of the reign of Nebi, don't y'all like Nebi better? Nebuchadnezzar. Andrew said last Sunday, whenever Daniel, they said, your name's no longer Daniel, but it's going to be Belteshazzar. Andrew said, he probably said, uh, uh, could you, could you spell that for me? (laughs) In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call all the magicians, call the magicians, the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. We, like I said, we've got to understand that God moved in prophecy to the Israelites. God moved in signs and wonders and, and even to the point where fiery serpents, because of their disobedience, fiery serpents came and they told God told Moses to put a, a brazen serpent upon a pole and put it on a hill and he that looks to it would be healed of the disease and healed of the death that was coming because of that fiery serpent. And so we know that even in that, that it was not just about the fiery serpent, but it was about a symbol of Jesus coming to us and John telling us if he be lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, that if he be lifted up, he would draw all men nigh unto him. Amen? So it was a sign and a symbol. So now God is fixing to speak to Gentile, pagan, idol-worshiping people. God has now chosen, church, to turn from speaking to the children of Israel. They no longer could understand fully the things of God. There was a period of time in the life of Israel that God's words were not spoken to them. It was not heard of them. Many years went by that they didn't hear it because God was speaking, but because of sin in their heart, they couldn't hear him. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, then I will not hear him. So if you think about it, they, didn't, they turned their ears off long ago, but then they couldn't even really tell when God was speaking or not. But God had gotten to a place where he said, I'm no longer going to extend my blessings to a nation who has forgotten me and has turned back and have become worse 
pop than the people that lived in the land of Israel. He said, you've become worse than the Jebusites that lived here before you, than the Amorites and the gods that they served before you. He says, you are, not, you are different, and the thing about you that's different is, is that you know me, and then you chose to turn away from me. That's, that's bad. And now all of these Israelites that had all of these covenants, church, they had the covenant with Adam, they had the covenant with Noah, they had the covenant of Abraham, they had the covenant of Moses, they had the blood-soaked covenants, the forgiveness of sins, the righteous standing before God, and they forsook it all, they turned away from it, and now God says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles for one reason, because you don't want it, for the second reason is to turn you and provoke you to jealousy. He wanted them to be jealous because he turned to people who the Israelites thought was not deservant to even have that blessing. Why do you think Jonah had such a hard time whenever God told him to go and preach? A preacher shouldn't have a hard time with going and preach if he's called to preach. But Jonah had a hard time. Why? Because he said, there's no way that I'm taking the one pure, unadulterated word of God to the Ninevite people. They are a wicked people, and they deserve judgment. That's why even after he preached the message, 40 days and God's going to destroy you, 40 days and God's going to come in and give judgment, 40 days and 40, that after that 40th day, he sat on a hill and waited for God to do all the judgment as though he was waiting on a fireworks show. Why? Because Israel thought that everything God had given them, they did not want to extend it as well to the others. They had become so greedy with their salvation and all of the blessings of God that they now began to think that it was all about the Israelites and somehow Abraham had some kind of special way about him for God to choose him. Did you know that that same idiocy goes on today in the house of God? For some reason, the Baptists think they're the only ones. The church of God thinks they're the only ones the church of Christ think they're the only ones and then they think that this one doesn't have it and that one doesn't have it and before long Satan's got us so messed up and not understanding that we were all worthy of death we were all deserving of hell it was by God's grace that he extended his son Jesus Christ to us and it's by grace that we're saved through the faith that he also give us a measure of so that we may even believe on him and then we turn around and we think there's something special about us no, what special is, is we have a special God who, listen, looked past what he saw in us and he saw what we could be as his child, amen? Listen, the Bible teaches us that Neb had a dream, or Nebi had a dream. And in this dream, it was kind of blurry to him. And he said, call all the astrologers, call all the magicians, call the soothsayers and the Chaldeans. And what he said, call all of those that practice magic and all of these things. And even looking at it in the trueness of the scripture, witchcraft, which in the word translated witchcraft, it's pharmaceutical, which we understand from the word pharmacy today, understanding that the used concoctions and drugs in order to make kind of high happen. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of make this experience happen to them so that they would feel like that they were in the presence of God because they were now intoxicated or that they were drugged up. But he said, call all of them. And then he, lastly, he says, call the Chaldeans, those Babylonian scholars, call them in here so that they can reveal the dream to me. The Bible says that there's one thing that God wants to do. 
as far as I know, looking in the scriptures, I've really never looked, Brother Mitch, at the scriptures and saw that when Jesus came to this earth, that his desire was to heal blind people, that his desire was to heal lame people, or that his desire was to take withered hands and make them straight and bowed bodies and make them stand up. I never see in the scripture that his desire when he came here was to call his friend Lazarus out of the grave. But I do see that the scriptures record for us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I do understand, according to the book of Acts, that this word passion is used there. And it says that after he had so-called completed his passion, and his passion was this, was that all of the world would be saved. He said, if I'm lifted up, I will lift all of Israel and all of Israel will look to me. That's not what he said. He said if I am lifted up and suspended between heaven and earth, I will draw all men, all mankind, all women, all nations, all tongues, all races, all colors, I will draw them all unto me. There is one plan that is sown from the very beginning creation all the way to when he wraps things up in the book of Revelation and it is this, that God desires salvation and that he was willing to do everything to get that accomplished. The Bible says that it took his hands and his fingertips to form the rivers and the valleys. It says that he flung the stars off the tip of his fingertips. He formed rivers and valleys in the palm of his hand. But Isaiah says that when he gave his only son, that it took the whole arm of God to give his son. And what that means is, is that he is at the right hand of the Father, that he is the arm of God. He is the one that his ears not deafened and his arms not shortened, that he can't reach down. And so God's desire and God plan is for the drunkard, for the drug addict, for the one that sleeps around, for the goody-goody Christian or the goody-goody person that's went to church the whole life. You know what God wants for you. I'm telling you now, it's not that he wants jobs and careers and money, and those things may be blessings of God. Those things are wonderful blessings of God, and it's not always that God wants us healed of cancer and healed of diabetes and healed of all of these things, but I know one thing that he wants, and that is he wants you to be saved. He wants you to know him. First Peter says, or Second Peter chapter three verse nine says this: "The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slack." And what that means is, God's not lazy. And God's not backing up on his promise. He says, as some men count slackness, he says, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That scripture right there is a whosoever kind of scripture. That scripture right there is a Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 kind of scripture that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will, shall be saved. This scripture right here says that God's promise to all of us, his promise to us is that he wants us to have salvation. He doesn't want us to die. The Bible even says in the book of Ezekiel that he desires not the wicked to die, but he wants them to come to him. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. God's not sitting around like some people blame God for. The world blames God and it says God's just a horrible, hatred-filled God. 
God wants people to go. And if your God was a God of love, then why would he send people to hell? If your God was a God of love, why would he allow abortions? Why would he allow rape? Why would he allow murder? Why would he allow these things to go on? Why would he allow my son or my daughter or my mother or my daddy or my children to die? God is not a God of love. Why would he do all these things? And they're not reading the fullness of the Bible. Sin has robbed us of all those things that I spoke of. Sin is what brought death. Sin is what brings all of these things. It's disobedience in God that has brought all this condemnation on us. It is God and God alone. It was not Buddha. It was not John Wesley. It was not John Phillips. It was not Paul Bunyan. It was none of them that wanted salvation to come. It was none of those false gods. It was not the gods of Mecca. It was not the gods of the Amorites or the Hittites and the Jebusites. It wasn't Moloch that wanted to give life. They threw their babies in those brazen, fiery red arms of those things. And we have the audacity in the United States and all across in Europe also that even last year, do you know what statue was outside of the Roman Colosseum that actually belongs, the Roman Colosseum and that area belongs to the Roman Catholic Church? Do you know what statue they brought in and thought that it would be cool, thought that it would be very historical, and they put it at the entranceway to go into the Colosseum that you literally would have to come up to it, Brother Daniel, and you would have to walk around the side of it and even order to get in to look at that Colosseum where all of those Christians martyred and they died and they were sewn up in the bellies of of animals and lions and, and tigers came and ripped those bodies apart. You know what was there? The God of Moloch for a whole year. Oh, how beautiful. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how praised it is. Do you know that even a few years ago, what we had in New York City, because we thought it was wonderful and we thought it was beautiful, the gate that went into Nineveh. Do you know what we have in the Pergama Museum overseas? We have the Ishtar Gate, which was the gate into Babylon, because we think these things are beautiful. Not understanding anything at all about God and about history. And we sit around on our Twitters and we sit around on our Facebook and we talk about how God is so hateful and God is so mean and that God doesn't want me to live my life when the whole time in Scripture, every one of the Scriptures are him reaching out. Adam sinned. It wasn't Adam that was in the garden going, God, I'm sorry. But it was God that came and said, Adam, where are you? Amen. It wasn't Jacob that ran back and said, Oh God, I've sinned. But it was God that came down and wrestled with Jacob. Amen. It wasn't David that sought after him, but it was God that spoke to a prophet by the name of Nathan that went after David and to correct him and to get him right. It wasn't me, as one of my preacher friends said, I wasn't looking for God, but I'm glad he was looking for me. So when you think about that, God desires all people to be saved. He has this dream, and God is now. This is great. This is good stuff. God is moving among, among a pagan Gentile, and he's stirring him up in his dream. Now, I don't know how y'all pray for people, but I'll tell you how I pray for people that are out of the will of God and that they're lost and maybe even backslid. I pray that God would never give them rest. I pray that their bed tosses and turns just like Isaiah said. It says the wicked are like the troubled sea whose wind and waves cast up mire and dirt. That they don't have any peace. The Bible says there is no peace to the wicked, saith my God. 
And I pray, God, you deal with them so strong. Hey, listen, if they don't hear the words, give them dreams about it. Let them dream about the rapture. Let them dream about being left behind and all of those things. You say, Brother Steve, how dare you pray those things like that? Listen, God spoke to Nebi in a dream. And he was so shook by it that he said, call everybody in my kingdom. I need to know what this dream is. Then Nebuchadnezzar did this. He gave a decree. The Babylonians were all about giving decrees. They were all about making new laws or bills. Let's call them bills because you know where I'm going with this. You know that we're just as good at making new laws. Instead of punishing those who commit sin or crime, let's just make a new law to come in, and that way we'll punish everybody. Somebody's got to say just a little tweaky amen. Amen, yeah. That's right, Brother Steve. We're good at making decrees. When they dug up the land of Babylon, they found all kinds of cuneiforms that I told you were, were clay stones and most of them scrolls where they wrote on them, and it was law after law after law. You're going to see some of the most silliest things in the book of Daniel that they came up with. But Nebuchadnezzar was driven by his emotions, and people that are driven by their emotions and by their hearts up on their sleeve will not always do the right thing. They won't. They'll pass laws that are the most ludicrous and the most just can't even imagine the most unfathomable of things that they could ever say. And you go, that doesn't even make sense. Makes no sense at all that you can't milk a cow on Tuesday in Idaho. You know what I mean? And you know the reason they do that. I woke up this morning and I looked at the blow dryer. I didn't use it. Y'all know that. But I looked on the blow dryer and I'm serious. We've wasted about, well, about this much of paper because there is a sticker on the blow dryer. It's just huge. There's no words on it. The words are on the other sticker. It's as huge and as plain as day, Ronnie. It is a picture of a bathtub, and then it has a red circle with a line across it. And I looked at that thing, and I went, who needed that? Who, were, who was blow-drying their hair? Who thought that, you know what, I could save a little time by blow-drying my hair in the bathtub? It's just crazy the things that we come up with. But I promise you, they can't put blow-dryers out on the market unless they have that dumb sticker on there. Right? Because we all know that someone thought about that at one time or another. Or maybe it's going to stop the murderer, the wife, from killing her husband or the husband from killing her wife. You know what? They're going to look at that sticker and go, no, can't do it this way. There's a sticker on there that says don't. Right? They make laws out of emotion, and that is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. He was so enraged that he began to make this decree. Look at what it says. I know you're ready to go home. Already, and we've just got started. Look at verse number four. He says, Then spoke the Chaldeans to the king and Syriac. He says, O king, live forever. <clears throat> Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. You know what he's saying? He's, I can't even remember it. And this king is saying, I need you to tell me what it is and then tell me what it means. He says, it's gone for me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces. Look at this. <clears throat> and your houses shall be made a dunghill or an ash heap. He says, but if you show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive gifts of me and the rewards of great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. 
If you look at him, you can see this man's kind of uh, two-sided rage. He's like two-faced off of the Batman days. He tells them, he says, if you can't tell me the dream, I'm going to cut you up in pieces and we'll burn your house down and it's just going to be left as a dunghill. Ashes to throw over on the dunghill. And then he goes, but if you tell me the dream, I'll give you lots of gifts and all kinds of praises and all of this stuff. It's like this double-sided maniac. Why? Because the gods he served has caused demonic thoughts in his own mind, and he cannot control himself. That's why a lot of people look at Jesus, and they, th- they think Jesus was a weak person because he was humble, or as the Scriptures refer to, he had meekness. And our world today has associated weakness with meekness. Meekness means this. Something that has been meeked means they have been tamed or they are able to control their spirit and control their emotions and their body and their tongues. James says that we need to learn how to control our tongues, right? He says it's like a fire set on from hell, right? He said it's very bad. He said, and do we know that the smallest things like the rudder of a ship controls the whole thing? And sometimes, I don't want you to raise your hand, but sometimes our mouths get us in the most trouble ever. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to show it to me or I'm going to cut you in pieces and burn your house down. Little pig, little pig, right? He says, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. He said, but if you tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation, then I'm going to give you all kinds of goodies and all kinds of gifts and all this stuff. Because he reminded them once again, the dream was gone from him. Listen, most of the time you wake up and you have these weird dreams. Most of the time you do what? You sit around and you go, you know, I had a crazy dream last night. How many of you ever say that and then your next phrase is this, but I can't really remember what it was all about. Anybody ever do that before? You know, you're, you're having memory loss even in your dreams, right? Nebuchadnezzar was that same way. He, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was something different and it had to, Brother Craig, feel so real to him that it troubled him in his spirit. It troubled him on the inside, and he couldn't remember what it was, and he wanted to know. So look at these next verses. The Chaldeans answered in before the king and said, there's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. He said, you know, if you tell us what it is, we'll tell you the interpretation thereof. Then look at the next verse. It says, then the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. There's nobody that knows how to do that. He says, therefore, there is no king, lord, or ruler that asks such things at any magician or any astrologer or Chaldean, and it is rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king. And look at these verses. I've lost Patty. I'm sorry. Look at these verses. They say here down in verse number 11 or 12, it says, nobody can show you this except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. The smartest thing that all of these people knew was that there's no man that can tell you this. And listen, only God could reveal something like this. It could only be God. Now listen, it says, and the king was angry. Look at your Bibles. And the king was angry and very furious. It means that he was enraged. It says, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And here it is. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Here we are again, and Daniel is facing opposition all over again. Daniel looked at the king's food and he said, you know, I can't eat of that. 
Now we look at it, and now there's more trouble. Daniel wasn't even present at this time because he didn't call those young Hebrew boys. He only called all of his kingdom, his astrologers, his magicians, and his soothsayers, and the Chaldeans, the, the smartest of the smart of all of the reign or all of the kingdom of Babylon. And now we find out that Nebuchadnezzar says this, all right, if y'all can't deliver the answer, then every one of you will die. Every single one in the kingdom of Babylon who declares themselves as a Chaldean, as one that's educated in the ways of the Babylonians, everyone that's a magician, everyone that's a soothsayer, every astrologer, every intelligent one in my kingdom, I will kill every single one of them. Do you see how hastily, how, how rash and how, how just immediate rage took over this guy? And he made a decision just like that. And when the king of Babylon would make a decree and verbally spoke it, they had people there that would write it upon a cuneiform or write it in the cuneiform way, <clears throat> write it upon a scroll of clay, and they would say, now it's, it's done, it's law. There's no changing that. We can't go back. Even as they turned to Medes and Persians, they said, we can't even turn back. That when, when, when the king says it, we've got to obey it. There is no going back and, and redoing it. No revote. There's no veto and all this stuff. And so the Bible teaches us that this king made a decree to kill them all. But then the third thing I want you to see is this, is that there was a desire to bless the name of God. There was a desire to bless his name. As you write these things down, this is just things that will hopefully help you to remember the story. As you go back, you can kind of see these things that are happening before us. He, he had this crazy dream, and then he had this crazy law that he passed, and now we look at this, and Daniel hears that he's about to die. And he understands that, listen, Nebuchadnezzar has got a, a mark for death out on all of them, and that not only will Daniel die, but Brother Brian, Hananiah, and Michelle, and Azariah, they'll all die. They'll, they'll be dead. And so what does Daniel do? Well, the Scriptures tell us plainly that Daniel began to run around like a chicken with his head cut off. Or I think it says something like that he beginneth to runneth around with, as a chicken with his head cutteth off. You know, he, he run around and that he was just at a loss for words and all that. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. You remember Daniel purposed to be faithful. And he made plans to be faithful. And if God was faithful to him over small things such as food, then why wouldn't God be faithful to him over big things such as death? If God proved himself faithful at that moment, then why wouldn't God do it again? Like Brandon sang in that third stanza of Amazing Grace, if his grace has brought us safe this far, then his grace will lead us on. <clears throat> so Daniel, look at what it says in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house, or excuse me, verse 14. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Now look at this. This is amazing. Daniel is not an insider. Daniel is considered an outsider when it comes to Nebi. Daniel was a Hebrew slave that was brought over in chains and bondage. And how dare he 
Or how could he ever think that he would approach the throne of the king of Babylon? Think about it for a moment. Most of us today would go, well, how in the world could, could we ever approach him? He's so much bigger than we are. He's so much bigger than us. And, and man, we can't even get to the throne. But he told Ariok, he said, tell me why the king is being so hasty. Why is he doing this? And Ariok explained it to him. Maybe he explained it this way, Casey. Well, you know Nebi and how crazy he is. Maybe he said it that way. I mean, he was a captain of the guards. He knew the rage of Nebuchadnezzar, and he explained it to him, and Daniel said, I need to speak to the king. Look at that. He says, I need to go. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. Why would Daniel ever think that Babylon king or the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, why would he think that he would ever Give him more time. <clears throat> when he told those soothsayers and the astrologers and the magicians, if you don't tell me what it is now, I'm going to cut your house. I'm going to cut you in pieces and burn your houses down. But Daniel goes in. Why? Because Daniel goes in with this. He goes in with God's grace, and he goes in with faith in God. And he stands before a king that is an earthly lowercase king because he knows a greater capital K king. He goes in there and he asks for more time. If you'll give me more time, I will show you the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Why did he give it to him? I think personally because Daniel approached him with truth. I think Daniel approached him in such a way that he approached him with truth and not some kind of crazy, chaotic scheme. See, because the other ones, those astrologers and all those other ones, they asked him the second time, the scripture that Pat, we got messed up on a while ago, they asked him the second time to show us the dream. You tell us the dream. And you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? He said, I've already told you that I can't remember the dream, and you're just stalling. You're just trying to buy time. And he got angry with them. And he made the decree that he would kill them. But then the Bible says Daniel comes in, of all people, a Hebrew slave, and says, if you'll give me more time, I'll show you the dream and the interpretation. And the king says what? Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing that he allowed him to do this thing. Look at what it says that he did. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, then Daniel went to his house, and he made the thing known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions. And then he asked them, hold a prayer meeting, please. He said, would you guys please pray? He said, go before the Lord and desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He simply requests from the king more time. But then he goes before God and listen to what he asks for. He asks for two things we know. But look at the first thing that Daniel sought for. He said, God, I need your mercy. Concerning this dream, Lord, I need your mercy. And he didn't allow Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he didn't allow them to go and just tell them, just pray for me. No, Daniel knew he was going to meet God about specific things. So Daniel asked his companions, his fellow brothers in kindred, in Judaism, in the Lord, he asked them, and then he gave them a prayer guide. He did. He said, I need you to pray, but I don't need you just to pray just out of your own heart and just make something up. This is what I want you to pray for. I want you to go in there and I want you to pray that God would give us mercy according to this, about this dream. And that God would give us mercy about our lives. That God would spare our lives so that we wouldn't perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then in verse 19, 
Look at what it says. The Bible says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. The Bible says that God revealed unto Daniel the dream in a dream. In the night vision. And what did Daniel do? He sought God in prayer. He asked for the mercies of God. And then after God answered, this is the key. After God answered, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then he breaks off into this and says these words. Blessed, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. Look at what he attributes to him. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wise or wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto know his understanding. Stop right there. It says he's the one that's in charge of all of these things. Daniel begins to praise God, Brother West, for what God revealed in the dream, and he hasn't even told Nebi yet what the dream was all about. And he says, God is the one that changes times. God is the one that set up kings and removes kings. God is the one that gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the one that looks for understanding. Look at what the next thing he says. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me what we desired of thee for thou hast made excuse me for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter he said i thank you and i praise you it's it really it really kind of is a similar very familiar to the story of the 10 lepers that were healed and the one that turned back to give praise and to give thanks and was made whole daniel before he ever approached the king with what he got. Can you see this? Daniel had a prayer meeting and he told those boys to pray a certain prayer and then he did what? He went to sleep. Daniel went to sleep. How many of us can put it in God's hands and then go, all right, I'm going to bed. I mean, Daniel knowing that this could be his last night ever. Daniel knowing that he could wake up tomorrow, Brother Ricky, and he could be killed and everything they have be burned up and thrown out onto the dung pile, right? Everything. But Daniel prays about it and hopefully falls asleep praying. What would we do? We'd boil a pot of coffee. We need to wake up and seek God about this thing. We need to think this thing through. We need to understand and we'd sit around and beg and beg and beg. But Daniel had faith enough to know That if he closed his eyes, that God would do whatever he wanted to do. And when God wanted to give the understanding and the interpretation of the dream, that he would give it. And he got it in the night vision. Through the night he got it. Can you see Daniel waking up the next morning? We're fixing to close him up. Can you see Daniel waking up the next morning going, Bless the name of the Lord. He didn't say, By Jove, I've got it. Watson, I've understood the puzzle. He didn't say those things. 
No, immediately what comes out of his mouth, immediately when God gives him the understanding, is not, oh, look at what I know. Look at my wisdom. Look at my intelligence. Look at my message that I've prepared. And look at all the sermon notes in the Hebrew and the Greek words that I've used. No, he said, bless the name of the Lord God. Bless the name of the Lord. Praise belongs to you. Thank you, the one who sets up times and seasons. The one who destroys kingdoms and and brings them up. The one who orders all of our steps that God of all gods he said I thank you and I praise you that not only have you given me the understanding but you have also saved our lives and now it's time to go and tell the king we should do the exact same thing as Daniel we should seek God and when he reveals it we should praise him we should pray when he answers we should praise him Listen, this last thing, I think it's the last thing. There may be three or four more things, but I think it's the last thing. Listen, it's that we understand this in all of the last scriptures that he is the definite God of all gods. He is the definite God of all gods. Not only does Daniel realize that, but we're even going to see that Nebi understands that. The Bible says in chapter number 2, look at verse 24. Therefore Daniel went unto Arach, the king, uh, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. You remember he had to teach him how to spell it. Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king, but there is a God in heaven. Amen. Don't that make you want to take the pulpit and run around the church? Amen. Daniel says, but oh, I know the interpretation. Listen, most of us, if God would have revealed something to us, we'd have been the first first ones to post it out there and tell everybody that we did it and we knew it and God showed it. And then in the end, we would say, I'd like to thank God for showing me this. That's not the way Daniel did it. Daniel started out and said, none of these other people can tell you, but let me tell you something. There is a God in heaven. Amen. He made sure to tell him, he's not right here, but there's a God in heaven that does what? Reveals secrets. Maketh known to King Nevi what shall be in the latter days. The dream and the visions upon thy head, upon thy bed, are these. As for thee, O king, the thoughts that came in thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. Remember those words? Write them down, underline them in your Bible, your study notes there. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets make known unto to thee what shall come to pass. It's not something that's happening. Daniel says God is showing you something that is going to come to pass. In its future, it's going to happen. He says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Don't you love what Daniel says? Daniel said, it is not I, but it's the God that I serve. Man, I've heard Brandon tell many a time, people say, boy, Brother Brandon, that was a great song. And he'll say, it's because of the Lord. People say, oh, that's a great message. It's because of God. It's not me, but it's like John said. It's not me, but Christ that lives in me. Like Paul said, he said, it's not me, but Christ that lives in me. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. 
He says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me from any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. He says, God wants you to know this for two reasons. First of all, so you'll leave those people alone and not kill them and not act hastily and do this crazy decree that you're talking about. And second of all, because God's trying to give you something. (laughs) He says, God's trying to speak to you God's trying to reveal himself to you. And so now look at what it says. Daniel, first of all, number one, he reveals the dream. Daniel says, let me lay it out for you, O king. He says, thou, O king, sawest and beheld or behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form was of terrible. It says the image head was of fine gold, and the breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass, and his legs of iron, his feet of iron and part clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and it broke him into pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold, they all broke in pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. In other words, that the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, but the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Can you, can you see, Nebi? Can you see Danny boy and Nebi as Daniel's explaining it to him? And Nebi begins to go, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I saw. That's what I saw. I remember now. It's all coming back to me. That's exactly He began immediately to know there's something special about the God that Daniel was talking about. And now Daniel says, but God's also wanted to show you the interpretation. Daniel begins to interpret the dream to him, and he says this to him. He says, <laughs> he says this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Don't you like how he says we will? Daniel didn't say I will. You know why? Because Daniel's not acting alone. He's acting on behalf of God who's speaking through him. And the we that he's talking about, I do not believe that it's the other three Hebrew boys. I believe that it's God speaking through Daniel. And the we he's referring to is talking about Jesus or about God and him. He says this. He says, we will give the interpretation thereof before the king. He says, thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And what he said is, you need to write this down, Nebi. God's done all this stuff. Don't you think for one minute it's because of your strength. God's the one that's done this. Amen. Stay with me. And he says, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, he hath given into thy hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold, and then after thee shall arise another kingdom, inferior to thee, and another king, and third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay, and part of it was iron, all those ten toes, he says, the kingdom shall be divided some day, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou saw the iron mixed with the miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and they shall not leave or cleave, excuse me, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in these days, or in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. He says, there's coming a day. 
Your kingdom's coming, but somebody else is going to come beat you. Yeah, Daddy ever told you this before? You may think you're tough some, but you're going to meet somebody someday that's tougher than you. I've yet to meet them, but I, I'm, I'm strongly waiting on them, right? <laughs> I, I met a boat this weekend tougher than I was. He, he says that kingdom's going to come, and then another kingdom's going to come. He said, and then finally it's going to be so mixed and messed up that you think, where in the world do all of these things tie together? But God says it all ties all the way back to Babylon. He said, but someday there's going to rock that's going to be hewn out, not with hands, but it's going to be coming out, and it's a stone, and it's going to hit in the bottom portion of that, and everything will fall, and it will be carried away like the wheat and the chaff on the threshing floor. And he says, and a kingdom will be set up someday, and it's going to be the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that later in the book of Daniel. But because of time, I've got to move through this. Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. Come on, Brandon. It says, for as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it breaketh in pieces, and the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass. Not now, but he says hereafter. And listen to these words. If you write down anything today, underline this in your Bible or in your notes. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. He says, you can take this to the bank. The dream is certain, and the interpretation that I've given you is trustworthy. It's valid. It's certain. And it's sure. Why would God give a pagan king a dream like this and an interpretation? Why would he tell him about things that would happen in the future? Why would God use Daniel to interpret this dream and give him the revelation that requires God's kind of understanding? Because of verse 28, there is a God in heaven. Daniel knew there's a God in heaven. Nebi needed to know that there's a God in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar knew of all kinds of false gods, but the reason God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream was because the Gentile time has now been set into motion. And it was time that the Gentiles understood who God is. We sit around in our churches today and twiddle our thumbs and make up all kinds of crazy scenarios. And we say, what will happen though, Brother Steve, if Jesus does come back and there's no one to speak to that person on the island that's way off, stranded on the island, and the gospel of Jesus has never come to them, then God can't come back as though what we do is we're restricting God from sending his son back by our understanding and rational or irrational thought process. Don't you know that the same God who spoke to Abraham and said, it's time for you to get out of your father's house, is the exact same God. He's no different God. He's not called Allah in these scriptures. He's still Jehovah. And he speaks to a pagan king in a dream. And he tells him everything that he's ever accomplished is because God has given him allowance to do so and he's speaking to him don't you think that that same God can also solve our huge predicament that we've created of the person on the island who may not know the gospel of Jesus Christ do you ever think that maybe God is stirring up in the hearts of people here or even in South Korea to go and to witness to those people that are on that island 
and share the gospel with them? Have you ever thought in your mind and in your thought process that the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost when the gospel was preached that every nation under the sun was represented there that day and that every nation heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they took it out unto the uttermost parts of the world? See, we try to create all these things and think, well, God, that's exactly what the Jewish people did. God would never speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, he did. Why? Because the Jewish people didn't want to listen to him. And do you know what? If the church today will not listen to the things of God, will God not speak to others? If you choose not to obey God and his will for your plan to be a youth pastor, to preach the gospel, don't think for one minute that God can't go, okay, I'll go to Wes. Hopefully, Not to cast you away, but to provoke you to jealousy so that you would want to do what God told you to do. Amen? Yes. What God's literally done is he's taken the sucker from the hand of the babies of Jewish, Israelite, Hebrew people, and he's given the sucker to the Gentiles. And what we ought to be doing is going, (laughs) that's what we ought to be doing. Looking at that thing and just going, all right, oh man, this is good. I don't know why. Why? Why? Why did he do that? Because they threw it down. God picks it up, washes it off, and gives it to us. So to do what? To the Israelites, to go, oh, my sucker back. <laughs> that's what I would do, and I know that's my sinful thoughts, but that's what I would do. Listen, last thing that Daniel did, Daniel praised God, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to these words, Nebuchadnezzar. He praised God. He was promoted Daniel. And then Daniel petitioned the king to save all the others. Listen to these last words. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. He fell upon his face, which means not to fall backwards like a dead person. No, dead people fall backwards. He fell upon his face because falling upon your face was an act of worship. But look at what happened. Isn't it familiar to the book of Revelation where John fell before an angel? He says he worshipped Daniel. Why? Because he only partly understood. But he said these words. He commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odor or sacrifice unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. And a revealer of secrets, seeing that thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man. He promoted him and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors of all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested, he petitioned God, or petitioned the king. He says, he requested of the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, speaking to the king, Take my friends and help set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but set Daniel in the gate of the king. See, why? Because our God is faithful in the middle of the worst times of all. That's what you need to know about this message, is our God is a faithful God. Compare Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel real quick before we leave. Nebuchadnezzar lost sleep concerning the dream because the good news of God stirs people up. If you're wicked... It stirs up conviction and you lose sleep. But Daniel fell asleep and he got the vision in a night dream. Nebuchadnezzar praised Daniel. 
But Daniel said, praise the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. God revealed to us that he knows and controls the rising and falling of every single nation. If you want to understand something today to where you don't have fear, there is no government on this whole earth without God. There is no government that will stand. They may stand for years. They may look as a head of gold. But the next one will come, and the next one will come, and the next one will come. You know what you can find comfort in? Here's the words of an old song. <clears throat> it says, the marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors. And in the courtroom, there's no debate. Work on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. The flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. And heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choirs now assemble. As they sing amazing grace. That song. That song. You know what it says? It says that there will be a rock that's tuned out. Not with hands. Carved out. Not with hands. It's not the rock of Gibraltar. It's not the rock Peter. That the, that the church supposedly. I'll build my rock. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And stuff. That Peter was that rock. No. Peter's The name of that was the word Petra. Which means pebble. Compared to when Jesus is called the rock. <clears throat> when it says the rock that tuned out. It says not with hands. It means that it's. God's rock that will come. And when it does come, Pop, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be that the king is coming. Oh, the king is coming. I can hear the trumpet sounding. And now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. Amen. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Amen. He's coming someday, church. Listen, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. He's going to be coming. Are you ready to see him? Do you lose sleep because God's speaking to you? That means you need to find some peace in your life. You need to seek him. Say, Lord, I need peace. Because if we pray and leave it with him, we should be able to go, okay, Lord, it's yours. Someday the king will come. Is he coming for you? Let me pray for you, Father.